are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. If you've got a, a Bible to turn on or to open, let's go to Acts chapter 1. So we'll meet you in Acts chapter 1 in a few moments, and you can turn on your Bible there or or open it up to Acts chapter 1. We'll have the verses on the screen for you as well. We, we started a new series last week called Erased, Whatever Happened to the Holy Spirit? Uh, because we often erase the Holy Spirit really out of our, our churches, out of our personal lives. We tend to neglect Him. We tend to grieve Him. We tend not to think much about Him. And uh, so who is this Holy Spirit? And, and why do we need Him? Why are we desperate for Him? Just like the choir uh, just saying. And last week we said that we need the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives for several reasons. Uh, the first reason is, you know, we need to rightly understand who God is. And so when you come to the Word of God and you're reading the Bible, uh, it's the Holy Spirit that reveals who God is, but it's the Holy Spirit that also reveals who we are. And not only does He show us who God is, He shows us who we are. He is the one perfect God. And we are people who sin against him. Uh, We violate God's laws. We don't always obey God rightly. And so the Holy Spirit shows us who God is, shows us who we are, but also shows us our need for Christ, shows us our need for Jesus, this Redeemer, this Savior that takes away our sin, gives us a relationship with God now and forever. And so last week we said that the Holy Spirit does all those things for us And that the Holy Spirit is better inside of us than Jesus being in the flesh and blood right beside us. Because if you remember, we went over a a verse last week in John chapter 16 in verse 7 where Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's about to ascend to uh, heaven to be with God the Father. And he says this to them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but I will send him to you. And and you just stop and think about that. I mean, would you rather have Jesus in the flesh and blood beside you at all times or the Holy Spirit inside of you? You know, right away, a lot of us would go, I I want Jesus. I, I want to be able to talk to him and see him and hang out with him and Man, I woke up with a sore throat, and all I got to do is just go over to Jesus' house and sore throat gone, right? I mean, like, all the things he could do for me if he was just right here beside me. And Jesus is saying, no, it's to your advantage. It's good for you that I leave, because when I leave, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be in you as followers of me. This week, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit and the church. How does the Holy Spirit work? within the church. Now, when I say church, I'm not talking about the building you're sitting in, right? I'm not talking about the organizational structure of what we do. When I use the term church and the Holy Spirit and how he works in the church, I'm talking about us, all of us, use guys, right? Y'all, right? Us, okay? I just had to throw all that out there in case you're not all from the South this morning, right? Try to connect with my audience. 
The church is us. We make up the church as believers in Jesus Christ. So how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives individually, but also work in our lives corporately together when we gather? So what we're going to do, because as a church, we've been reading through Luke and Acts. We're going to kind of skim through a lot of passages in Acts this morning, looking at the Holy Spirit's activity. The reason being, because if you've been reading through Acts You keep seeing the Holy Spirit coming up over and over again. Listen to just kind of this comparison. If you take the five books of John that he wrote, so the five letters of John, that's John's gospel, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, that's four, Revelation. If you take his five books, John mentions the Holy Spirit 21 times. If you take the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, The Holy Spirit's mentioned 34 times. If you take Romans and 1 Corinthians together, that's Paul's two longest letters. You put those together, the Holy Spirit's mentioned 45 times. Now Luke, in 28 chapters in Acts, mentions the Holy Spirit 56 times. He's not mentioned any more than that in any other book of the Bible. And I love what F.F. Bruce says. In his commentary, he said, In all the book of Acts, there's nothing which is unrelated to the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. In all the book of Acts, there's nothing which is unrelated to the Holy Spirit. That means this. In your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, there is nothing unrelated in your life to the Holy Spirit. Everything we do. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. We need him for everything. Every breath we breathe, all the decisions we have to make, everything we need the Holy Spirit for. And so this morning, as we get started, I want to give you this opportunity again. Uh, Many of you took it last week and just let you know, as we're moving through this over the next, this week and next week, I know a lot of questions come up about the Holy Spirit. And so if you've got questions, there's two ways you can kind of ask those questions uh, and give me a chance to respond to them. First, you can text in your questions. And here's a number for you to text. You text the word questions to 346-244-5883. And the number is there on the screen. So type in that number in your phone, type in the word question, hit send. Then in a moment, you're going to get a link that's going to pop back up You click that link. You don't have to put your name and email in there. Type out your question. Hit send again. All right. Then on Monday, I'm going to answer those questions on our church Facebook page. And so last week, about eight of you asked questions, and that video's up if you want to watch that. A couple of you sent them to me this week, so I've got them. So tomorrow, we'll answer those again on Facebook, and you can kind of uh, take a look at that video and, and go over that. If you don't want to text, you can write it on your connection card this morning. Just take out your connection card there kind of in front of you, and at the bottom part where there are prayer needs, you can write your question down and put that in the offering basket later in our service, and we will answer those for you the best we can. But let's open in a word of prayer as we get started looking at the Holy Spirit in the church. Father, what a celebration already this morning and being able to see Scooby and Joe and Joseph and Holly going public with their faith and baptism. We are We are so proud of them for that. And Lord, we celebrate uh, that decision in their life. And we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit uh, and what he's doing in them. And Lord, I pray this morning as we have opened your word, we need the Spirit to teach us rightly. 
who God is, who we are, our need for Jesus, and Lord, uh, how he works in our lives individually, but our lives corporately, because as the song we just sang, we want to honor and we want to glorify you in all that we do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. First thing you're going to see in the book of Acts right off the bat is how the Holy Spirit gives you power to be a witness for Jesus Christ. All right? The Holy Spirit gives you power to be a witness for Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, Luke writes in the first book, and what he means by that is his gospel he wrote, O Theopolis. Theopolis is the man that he writes the gospel of Luke 2 and Acts 2. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus, before he leaves, tells them to wait. And they wait about another 10 days between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. So from the crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus to the ascension is about 50 days span. Now, in this period of waiting, he gives them the promise the Holy Spirit's going to come. And you see in verse 4, he mentions two baptisms. He said, for a lot of you, you've been baptized by John in John's baptism. He's referring there to a water baptism. See, John the Baptist, when you pick up in the Gospels of like Matthew, you read he was baptizing people in a baptism of repentance. That meant this. They were showing outwardly what they believed inwardly. They were turning from their sin and placing their faith in God. And so then inwardly, that's a decision that we profess outwardly. So they were being baptized by immersion saying, yes, I've turned my life over to God. I've made this inward decision. I'm now professing outwardly, just like we just did this morning, right? That's a a baptism of repentance. Those folks are saying, hey, I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm turning from sin and I'm turning to Christ. I'm here to let you know that. But then he mentions a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, uh, on you, maybe your translation says in you, uh, that means to be clothed with power. So when the Holy Spirit comes in you as a believer in Christ, he's clothing you with power. He's giving you his power. I love what verse 8 says. Jesus says this, you will be my witnesses. And that's actually written in the future tense. I love the way really Jesus is saying it. He's not saying you, you might be my witnesses. I really hope you're going to do this. No, Jesus is saying you will be my witnesses. You're going to do this. And you're going to do this in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses because I'm going to give you power to be able to do it. Now, who's, who's the power? 
Well, the power is the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Well, inside the believer. Think about it this way. If you have a professional athlete, let's say a, a baseball player, that professional athlete, you know, a baseball player, he's got to learn to use his equipment really well to be good at what he does. He's got to learn to swing the bat, right? A golfer, you know, he's got to learn to swing the golf club really well. A basketball player, he's got to learn how to shoot the basketball well to be a, a professional athlete. Well, what about a professional musician? They've got to learn the guitar if they're a guitar player. They've got to learn the drums if they're a drum player, right? They, they, they've got to learn these things. They've got to be good at using their equipment. Now, don't miss this. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he gives you power, he's not the equipment that you use. You're the equipment he uses, right? See, we don't use the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses us. We're his equipment. He gives us power to be a witness for Jesus. I want you to notice also what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit brings fellowship with one another. He brings fellowship to the church. Let's go over to chapter 2. So in chapter 2, Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. Peter has stood up and he's preached. And you see in verse 41 of chapter 2, that those who received his word, that means those who believed in his word, Acts 2.42, were baptized, right? Why do we baptize after salvation? We see this pattern all throughout the New Testament. People who place their faith in Christ are then baptized. And so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. That's a good Sunday, isn't it? I mean, could you imagine starting a church from scratch, nothing? And then like 3,000 people all in one day. Right? That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot to handle. That's a lot to manage. That was kind of unexpected, don't you think? Do you think when the disciples woke up that morning, they thought, you know what? By the end of the day, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And we're going to have 3,000 new believers in Jerusalem. Past the cornflakes, right? I mean, it's not occurring to any of them right now. They know he's coming. They know Jesus has promised him, but they didn't know when. Jesus didn't say, hey, at Thursday at 12 noon, make sure you're in the city square and, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come. No, he just said he's coming. Right? And so what do you see in the New Testament church? What do you see early on? Well, pick up in verse 42 with me. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Verse 43, and awe and wonder came upon every soul and many signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now listen to Acts 4.32. In chapter 4 and verse 32, it says, Now the full numbers of those believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So when you read in Acts 2, 42 through 47, you need to read in Acts 4, 32, what are you seeing? You're seeing unity within the people. You're seeing unity within the church. Who's bringing that unity? It's the Holy Spirit. How is that unity brought? Because it's really amazing if you stop and think about it. I mean, just, just kind of go back in your mind with me to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do you often see the disciples doing? 
What do, you, what do you think? Just think about that in your mind. What do you often see the disciples doing? They're fighting, right? Did those guys ever fight? Yeah. What'd they fight about? Hey, Jesus, which one's the best one of us? Who's the greatest, right? Remember James and John? Mom comes up to Jesus. Look, when you come into your kingdom, I want one to sit on your right hand and one to sit on your left. These are my important boys. Don't worry, don't worry about the other ten. You know, don't worry about them. I want my boys in power. Right? And what you've got in the early church is ripe for division. You have people from other languages, people from other backgrounds, people from other customs, people from other traditions suddenly coming to know Christ in mass numbers. And then they're led by 11 of them, and one's added later after Judas is out of the picture, who all they were doing for three years with Christ was fighting about who's the greatest. What changed? What happened? Holy Spirit took up resonance in their life. But it was more than just the Holy Spirit being there. See, it was them yielding to the Holy Spirit in their life. It was them saying, we're not in control anymore. You're in control. It's not our life. It's the life you give us. We're not using you as the equipment. You're using us as your equipment. We're not here to use you. You're here to use us. It's them together yielding themselves to the purposes that the Holy Spirit was sending them out on. Why do churches fight? Why do churches sometimes get all bent out of shape? Why, why is there division in churches sometimes? I would argue this. Sometimes churches will put their methods, their traditions, and their customs over the mission. See, the mission, our mission here is to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. That lines right up with what God wants us to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Make disciples of all people, right? Teaching them, baptizing them to follow Christ. That's our mission. That's our God-given mission. But when churches put methods and customs and traditions over that mission, then disunity happens. But when you and I, as the church, yield ourselves to the mission and yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, then we go, you know what, we're from different traditions and we're from different customs and some of us may speak different languages and we all don't like the same thing but that's okay because we're all in the same mission i want you to think about it this way um think if we were a, a music company this morning and um, we needed to get music out to people right? that was our goal that was our mission we got to get music to people people want to listen to music so we got to get music out that's our mission Raise your hand if you grew up listening to music on a record player. Okay, good. Just keep them up. Keep them up. You're okay. It's class participation. Keep your hands up and then raise your hand if you listen to them on an 8-track. Okay? All right. How many cassette players? CDs. Right? Phones. What was the mission? Get music out. Had the methods changed over the years? You better believe they have, right? If the methods didn't change, then the mission's not going to work. In a church, methods can change all the time. Methods have to change. have to change the way we do things and communicate to a culture that's constantly changing in the way they take in information. Does the message change? 
No, it never does. Jesus is the only way to salvation. John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me, period, end of discussion, right? Our mission is to get that message out. Can it change in the way it gets out? Yes, it can. Is that okay? Yes, it is, right? Some of you are looking at me a little uneasy, but that's okay. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit can unify us in that mission when you and I yield control to him. And we can see God doing great things. So let's go to that. Let's look at what God does. The Holy Spirit not only empowers us for witness, not only brings us in unity, but the Holy Spirit brings growth. The Holy Spirit brings growth. I'm not going to ask you to turn to these passages just because I'm going to read them quickly for time's sake, but you may want to jot them down. Acts 2.42, I want you to listen to the growth. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added about that day 3,000 souls. Acts 4.4, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of them came to be about 5,000. Acts 5.14, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests came to be obedient within the faith. It's the Holy Spirit that brings growth. Because see, understand, in the the life cycle of churches, uh, we go through seasons. Now there's a season of planting. I would call the season of planting a a time where we go and we engage the community and we're uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, Maybe you're out and about and and you have what we call gospel conversations where you get a chance to talk to somebody about the Lord. You get a chance to invite somebody into one of our services to hear the word of God. That's a time of planting, right? Then there's a time of watering. Time of watering is following up with those people. Continue to pray for them. Uh, Maybe continue to invite uh, as a church, we equip you to go out and do that. We encourage you to do that. We model that for you. We create times for you to go out. So there's, there's planting, there's watering, but then there's a third stage. And that third stage is harvesting. That, that, that third stage is the growth. Now let me ask you this. If you were a, a farmer putting a seed in the ground, and you had those three stages before you, planting, watering, harvesting, what are the stages you control? Well, the stages you control are simple, Right? Planting, watering. You do that. But can the, har- can the farmer make the harvest grow? Yes or no? No, right? The, the farmer's got no control how much crop comes up. What did the farmer control? Planting, watering. Harvesting, that's not up to him. In a church, growth, harvesting, it's not up to us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I want you to just stay in Acts, but uh, just kind of bookmark that. We're going to be right back. But let's just go to 1 Corinthians real quick. And let me show you what I'm talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to do this just for illustration purposes for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth who uh, is struggling with a lot of division. And you can read that early on. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3... In verses 5 through 9, he's addressing some of the division within the church. Why don't you pick up in verse 5? He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. Verse 6, who gave the growth? It was God. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants, he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now look in chapter 4 and verses 1 through 2. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. What does God want you to do? God wants you to plant. God wants you to water. What's God going to do? Take care of the growth. You share the gospel. You pray for that person. And you keep doing that. And you keep doing that. And maybe just God will bring the growth. You know, I, I looked at it last night. And this is amazing to me. Since November and counting today, we've baptized 17 people. Isn't that amazing? Amen, right? That's awesome. And I, I mean, you've seen a, a husband and a, a wife, a son and a father this morning, right? Who's bringing that growth? Not us. It's the Holy Spirit. But what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's using all your planting, all your watering, all the things you're doing and loving and leading people to a new life with Christ. He's using that and he's bringing that growth. Now, you might say, well, how much growth is he going to bring? I don't know. But I'll say this. If you pray for rain, you better bring an umbrella, right? I mean, I love that saying. I say it all the time. If you pray for rain, you better bring an umbrella. Isn't it silly to pray for rain and not have an umbrella handy? That's silly to me. You're going to pray and ask God for it to rain. You better have an umbrella where you can grab it. You're going to pray for somebody to know Christ. You're going to pray for them. You're going to share the gospel, man. You get your umbrella ready. God's going to answer that. God's going to work, and God's working. God's the one who brings that growth. Here's what's sad to me, though. A lot of churches want a harvest, and they pray for that harvest, and they want God to work in their churches, and they want the harvest. But you know what they haven't done? Haven't planted and watered. And it's silly to say, God, bring a harvest if you and I aren't planting and watering. You and I do what God wants us to do. Just stay faithful. That's what 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says. Just be faithful. And God brings that growth. God answers those prayers. Finally, I love this passage. The Holy Spirit sends us out on mission. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. The Holy Spirit, he sends us out on mission. He's the one that empowers us for witness. He brings unity within the church. He brings growth in the church. But finally, he sends us out on mission. If you pick up in Acts chapter 8, let's start in verse 1. Now in Acts chapter 7, what's happened is the first martyr of the church has died. His name was Stephen. Uh, He was persecuted there in Jerusalem and he was killed. Now remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 8 or 1 verse 8. He says, you're going to be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now pick up in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, that means Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You know what I think's happened at this point? I think in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in these areas, the church just got a little lazy. And they said, ah, we don't really want to do that. We're comfortable here. We like life in Jerusalem. Uh, things are pretty good. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I told you where you were going to go. You were going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What had to shake them up? A little persecution shook them up, didn't they? 
Where did they go? Judea and Samaria. Now watch what's about to happen in Acts chapter 8. When you pick up in verse 26, we meet a guy by the name of Philip. Philip was in Samaria. And Philip was preaching, and people were coming to know Jesus left and right. Samaria is a major area. And Philip's thinking, man, I got the best ministry in the world. People are coming to know Christ left and right. Verse 26, Acts 8, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert. Yay, right? Are you sure? Kind of got a good thing going on in Samaria. Like, kind of pretty happy here, pretty comfortable. Ministry's going well. I'm preaching. People are getting saved. Things are great. Gospel's spreading. No, 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 Philip. I need you in the desert. All right, God, I'll go to the desert. Verse 27, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a very important person is what that means, a, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was charge of all her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. When he goes to that Ethiopian eunuch, he sits down with him. He says, hey, how do you know what you're reading? You understand what you're reading? The guy says, I don't understand what I'm reading until somebody explains it to me. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a gospel conversation like that, but I'd love that. Right? That's just easy. Do you imagine walking up to a non-Christian already reading the Bible and going, hey, you know what you're reading? Nope. You got five minutes to explain it? Sure. I mean, like, man, that's just easy, right? Usually when I come up to people cold and I don't know them, I, I, I get like the, I've never heard of God or I'm totally against him. I mean, I've joked that I'm going to take a jackhammer into heaven because I'm usually the guy that gets the person for the first time. And all I'm doing is breaking up concrete in their heart, right? And I mean, here's Philip. He's just showing up. And this guy's right. This guy's ready. Like, I'm already reading Isaiah 53. Just tell me what this is about. All right, well, this is about a guy named Jesus. And he was a savior. And, and you know what, eunuch, you're, you're a sinner just like I am. But this Jesus can take your sin away. You ready to place your faith in Christ? Sure, let's do it. All right, he places faith in Christ. They see water. He goes, hey, I'm ready to get baptized. Let's do it right there on the spot. But where does he go with the gospel when he goes home? Where's he go? Ethiopia. So from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 8, where did the gospel go? Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, and now where? Ethiopia. How about we call that the end of the earth at that day and time? Right? What's happening? The Holy Spirit sends us out on mission where he wants us to be. See, where you are in your life today is by no accident. You are where you are because the Holy Spirit wants you there. The job you have is where he wants you to be. The house you live in is where he wants you to be. The church you are in is where he wants you to be. All these people he's put around Heights Baptist Church is not to make Heights Baptist Church bigger. Why did God put all these people around Heights Baptist Church? Why are we in a growing area? Why? Because he wants more of them to hear the gospel. The only difference, the only difference between you and a missionary today in Africa is an address, not an identity. See, a lot of times we think missionaries are the ones that leave here and they go to another country and share the gospel. No, 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 no. 
That's the only difference between you and them is an address. They just moved to another country to do it. You and I are still missionaries. We are Holy Spirit, infilled, empowered, God-called missionaries where we're to be. Now, I know for a lot of you, because you're looking at me with that tone of voice again. And we always get to this point in the sermon where some of you just look at me with that tone of voice. And you're thinking, no way. I can't do it. I I can't share my faith with someone. I I can't invite somebody to church. Listen, let me tell you something. Growing up as a kid, I was quiet. I was shy. Now, you're looking at me like, come on. I didn't like people. I didn't like being in front of people. I mean, if presented a choice in school, if the teacher goes, hey, you can take an F on the book report or stand up and give the book report in the class, guess what I was choosing? The F all day long, right? I didn't like it. I I didn't want to do it. At 23, God called me to preach. Ever since I was 12 years old, I wanted to be a basketball coach. And I was, I was doing that, 23. I was a high school basketball coach. I was a high school history teacher. I had been coaching for four years. Loved what I was doing. Loved where I was being, doing what I felt. You know, I want to do what made me happy. God said, you're going to be a pastor. Nope. Not doing that. Because I don't know, God, if you've checked with me lately, but I don't like people. I don't like being in front of people. And I'm certainly not going to preach for a living. I mean, I, I, seriously, I, I talk to people about Jesus for a living. You know, that's basically what a pastor does. I mean, like, hey, no way I'm doing that. He says, no, you're going to be pastor. No, I'm not going to be a pastor. You know what? That went on for about a year until I finally goes, you know what? The Holy Spirit's not going to let this go. I think I need to do this. I just need to yield control to the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'll be a pastor, right? And he's changed all those things in me. Do I like people? Yeah, sometimes, right? <laughs> just depends on the situation, who you are. But yeah, you know what? I have a general love for all people. Do I like getting in front of crowds? You better believe it, man. Give me a crowd to preach Jesus to and I'll do it. I've said this to people. I will go anywhere to preach Jesus, right? I will go absolutely anywhere. Somebody invites me to come in and, and preach. I'm doing it, right? I was there. Just quick story. Um, you know, the, in our church in Pennsylvania, we had a warden of a maximum security prison down in Maryland. And uh, he was getting installed as the new person there. And he invited me down. He said, I get to pick the person who's going to do the invocation at my ceremony. Will you come and open in prayer? I thought, man, you don't know what you just asked, but cool. And uh, so the governor of Maryland's there, the city, you know, Mayor Baltimore, all these elected officials there. And I come up to him and he's like, John, look, what can I do and can't do here? I don't want to get you fired. I don't want to get you in trouble. He said, I picked you. You do what you want to do. I said, all right, I'll do what I want to do. And so I open in prayer. I said, guys, bow your heads. Dear Lord, we are all sinners just like these people in prison. <laughs> and Lord, the only difference between us and them is they're behind bars and we're not. But we've all sinned against you. And Lord, but there's one person who can forgive us of that sin. Just like those people and behind those bars, just like each one of us, sin has us within, trapped in our lives. It's only Jesus Christ that can forgive us of our sin. And if anyone sitting here today will give their life to Jesus Christ, you'll free them of that penalty of sin and help John be a good warden. Amen. Right? I mean, <laughs> like, I'm going to do that. Why? Because I've yielded control of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you can do that. You can be that missionary he wants you to be right where you are. And it doesn't have to be a pastor. It doesn't have to be a missionary over in Africa. Be a missionary in your home. Be a missionary in your school. Be a missionary at work. It's just coming to the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, you live in me. You empower me. 
And I'm yielding myself to you. And so I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Because I believe the Holy Spirit right now is working on your heart and your mind. I believe that every time the Word of God goes out, the Holy Spirit's moving. And He's working on you. And I want to encourage you this morning to come and to pray for somebody. Maybe there's somebody on your list that, that you know that needs Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In a moment, I want you to get up and I want you to come pray. I want to invite you to do that. You come pray at the steps for them and say, you know, Lord, we've seen people that we've prayed for come to know Christ recently. We've seen people, we've prayed for their baptism to come to know uh, Jesus and be baptized. And maybe there's still people on your mind and your heart you want to go before the Lord for. You have been seeing that over the last several months, how God answers those prayers. Don't give up praying for those people. And so for in a moment, I want you to come and to pray. For those people on your heart and mind to be saved. Maybe this morning it's for you to be baptized. Just, just like you just saw this morning. You've not been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. And today you need to say, you know what? I want to be baptized. I'm ready to go public with my faith. In just a couple weeks, March 1st, we're going to have our next baptism service. And, and you can get ready for that. Say, look, I'm ready to do that. Or maybe today it's to say, you know what? I, I need to believe in Jesus as my Savior. I'm ready to come to know Him as the Lord in my life. And so when we stand to sing, I want you to come. You come talk to me, and I'll help you take that next step of faith and place in your faith your trust in Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. And as I'm praying, the uh, worship team's going to come. We're going to sing, and you're going to come and pray. Father, thank you for the way you work. Thank you for the way you move. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who empowers us as witnesses who, Father, brings unity within the church, who brings growth, but, Father, who sends us out on mission. Lord, I pray this morning for folks to come and to pray. They're going to lift up names to you. And, Lord, I pray for those names they're going to lift up, those people, that they'll come to know Christ Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives. Pray for folks that maybe need to be baptized as believers. Today's going to be that day. And they say, I'm ready to be baptized. Or, Father, maybe it's just... Somebody saying, you know what, I've yet to trust Christ as my Savior, and I'm ready to do that today. I'm ready to have my eternity forever changed and my life changed right now. Lord, I pray for them to come. Lord, for others, the Holy Spirit's calling them to yield, the yield portion of their lives. And Father, I pray for those decisions that they need to make. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org give.